0: Wonder Things Studios proudly presents a special episode of the Roundtable Podcast. 20 more minutes with Cat Rambo. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Dave Robison.
1: And I'm Denise Lehman.
0: And you've tuned in to a special episode of the Roundtable Podcast, 20 minutes with.
1: 20 minutes with is a glorious opportunity to sit down with an amazing creator and explore their craft in a never-ending quest to improve our own.
0: Indeed, a never-ending quest, an ongoing quest, and my ongoing quest to fill my co-host chair with as much awesomeness and fabulosity as is available in the world. It's a daunting task, but today, dear friends, I have achieved new heights. Denise Lehman, friend from uh, past episodes of The Roundtable, a guest writer, fellow Caesorium of Creatives member in the Underlibrums, uh, uh, cartoonist and general badass. Ma'am, I am so delighted that we got the chance to sit you down and have you co-host with me for an episode. I am so grateful that you took the time.
1: I know, right? It's been way too long, Dave. It and, really it, has. And I'm blushing. You can't see me, but oh my goodness.
0: <laughs> see, that's why we do audio. It's it's <laughs> totally blush safe and pants optional around here at the round table. <laughs> and that's how we roll. Denise, <laughs> sit <laughs> yourself down. Uh, sit back, relax. What what's your what's your libation of choice this evening, ma'am?
1: Um waters and the last 2 pounds of my strawberries.
0: Okay. <laughs> See, water and strawberry—that's a fresh, that's a that's a refreshing uh, a libation. By all means, sit back, munch a few strawberries, have a glass of water. I'd like to introduce you to our guest host for this episode. May I?
1: Yes, please
0: do. Excellent. You're, you're very kind. Uh, uh, well, friends, our guest host uh, is actually a, a repeat offender <laughs> here at the roundtable. Uh, you can catch her patented Dave Robinson stalkerish intro mm-hmm. on the 20 minutes with we recorded with her back in July 29th of 2014. Uh, but as always, I do feel compelled to catch everyone up on current events for our returning guest hosts. <laughs> Fortunately, last January, she's been releasing a newsletter a week... Uh, which has made my job so much easier. Uh, uh, the stalking is wonderful when the stalkers just deliver the goodness into your inbox. Um, friends, she's been attending conferences, making appearances at Emerald City Comic Con, Con, and the International Conference for the Fantastic in the Arts, which really just sounds fabulous. Her work continues to be printed and narrated everywhere. Uh, uh, most recently, it was her story Elections at the Via and." En- uh, that appeared in the Overcast podcast. And another tale, uh, Call and Answer, Plant and Harvest, was recorded by the astonishing and fabulous M.K. Hobson. Uh, uh, and friends, if you haven't heard the mighty M.K. Hobson read a story, uh, holy smokes, go to the Escape Artist <laughs> podcast, check out uh, uh, Escape Pod, PodCastle, and Pseudopod. Uh, and speaking of Escape Pod, our guest host actually uh, got into some narration where she narrated someone else's story on a skate pod, uh, a tale called Scrape Metal. And dear friends, that's always a rare delight for fans to hear an author narrate a story. Do check that out. Uh, she started posting articles on Medium, which is a fabulous format. If you haven't checked out medium.com, some incredible essays out there. She's been interviewed in the Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction and the CIFWA 50th Annual Anarchment anniversary cookbook is on shelves, occupying space with every other book in the world, which technically means it's in the running for a Hugo Award (laughs) along with every other book in the universe. But still, that's fabulosity that's out there as well. Uh, And actually, speaking of awards, her steampunk story, Memphis Barbecue, that appeared in Airships and Automata, was a Daryl Award finalist. And her recent novel released, Beasts of Tabat, is a finalist for the Compton Crook Award for first novel. So she, dear friends, is gonna be at Balticon this year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she has also self-pubbed a collection of tales titled Altered America: Steampunk Stories. And another double-sided collection from Hydra House coming out later in 2016. She's going to China in September for the Chinese Nebulas. And she is still uncontested as the president of the science fiction and fantasy writers <laughs> of America. Dear friends, <laughs> please welcome back to the big chair here at the round table, Cat Rambo. Cat Rambo. Always a delight to have you in these sumptuous virtual roundtable studios. And uh, I got—I just got to say thank you so much for that newsletter. It's a delight to get Cat Rambo in my mailbox every week. And thank you for making the time to, to join us. We really appreciate it.
2: It's always fun to be here. And I always love in- listening to your introduction.
0: <laughs> I can't help myself. It's a, it's a sickness. I can't help myself. I wanted to ask you, Cat, before we get into our 20 minutes with you, Um I, I know that you are a multifaceted, multi-talented individual and that you have done narration. But I wanted to ask you, from an author's perspective, what do you think an author... I guess this is kind of a 20... Nah, yeah, screw it. I'm gonna My show, my rules. This doesn't count. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, from an author's perspective, what do you think an author brings when they actually sit down to narrate a story, whether it's one of your own or someone else's?
2: Well, I think they... Bring their interpretation of things to it, and if it's the author themselves, then you know that it's. I mean, you could at least know that's what they meant to do, uh, (laughs) and that they pronounced everything correctly. Right. Um, I don't even know that it's so much an author, so much as it's a good reader that's really important to a uh, podcast.
0: Sure, for for a good narration, you're right. A good performer and someone with those performance skills, but I would imagine that. I mean, as a as a writer, as an author who has crafted hundreds of stories, uh, uh, I can I can only assume that there's some sort of hmm, authorial investment that that happens when you actually sit down to read someone else's story for a narration. Am I am I just projecting into that?
2: Um, I I think you're
0: projecting. (laughs) (laughs) That that has been known to happen.
2: Reading the stories. I enjoy reading the stories. And, it, and it's I uh, like I read uh, Helena Bell's uh, Robot for Clark's World a number of years ago. And that ended up on the Nebula Ballot. And I was convinced it was, you know, at par- least partially because of my wonderful reading. <laughs> um, must be. Absolutely. But, but most of the time it's just it's, it's enjoyable. I mean, I do like reading the stories and I do like performing them. I don't know that that's still an authorial. You're right.
0: I I guess, I guess. And that's ultimately what it comes down to, I think, is the fact that both writers and narrators love the stories Uh, and that love inevitably makes the read that much better. Okay. I agree. I agree. Cool. Well, let's, let's then dive into this thing. Let's, let's, let's start the 20 minutes with Cat Rambo. Officially, I'm going to go ahead and set the timer. Which, as we all know, is a fool's errand. But, <laughs> but I'll go ahead and do it anyway. Um, Kat, uh, uh, we're going to kind of uh, focus our, our format uh, a little differently for this episode. Um, because you have uh, a veritable cornucopia of awesomeness coming up in the form of the classes that you offer online. And the I was looking over the roster of classes that are coming up for, for May and for June, and the topics are so fascinating and every one of them basically was, oh yeah, I want to know more about that. <laughs> so I figured I'm going to exploit the, the, the interviewer's prerogative. And, and uh, Denise and I would ask you some questions about some of the classes uh, uh, that you're teaching uh, that, that particularly have resonance for us, if you're cool with that. Sure, that
1: sounds I great. I called
2: dibs. I I I, I called
0: dibs. <laughs> You've got your I've got mine. <laughs> and if we if we if we steal each other's we can we can thumb wrestle for it. It'll work.
2: Yeah, oh, this is like a little psych profile too,
0: right? I know, right? Which classes you pick? Here's the Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like a rorschach test test for for podcasters <laughs> and writers. Yes.
1: I'm judging you.
0: Yes, exactly. Well, here the thing that jumped out at me, Cat, was uh the class that you're teaching with Rachel Sworski. Uh, uh, retelling and retailing, uh, is the title of that piece. And, and we've had Rachel on the show before and she's an astonishing, uh, storyteller with an incredible aesthetic. Um, Mm -hmm. but the idea behind that particular class drawing on stories that have preceded those authors, folklore, mythology, fables, uh, uh, that has gained so much momentum, in, in my opinion, just in popular culture, uh, between film and television and books, of course. Uh, so I'm I'm fascinated by that process. First of all, um, how is it that you and Rachel came to to teach that class together, <coughs> and and can you give us some highlights of, of what those what the, what the gold is within that class?
2: Well, uh, Rachel and I were Clarion West. Classmates. Uh, so, and we got to be friends there. And so we wanted to teach something together. Uh, both of us pull on other people's stories. And, and of course, when I was in grad school, uh, someone brought in a lament uh, where it was a historical document where a scribe was saying, all the stories have been told. What am I going to do? And it turned out to be an Egyptian scribe from 800 BC. Um, so, I mean, to a certain extent, we keep telling the same stories over and over, but we do sometimes reference uh, specific versions of them. And I don't know, it's a fun class. And, and it's a class that I think, every, we, we've taught it once so far, and everybody that came through it felt like they came away with at least a few stories that they wanted to retell in their own words, or that they wanted to draw on, and some idea of what they wanted to do with them.
0: That's an interesting instinct, and, and I'd, I'd like to explore that just a little bit with you. Um, uh, actually, there's so much about this particular topic, like what is it about the, the folklore and the mythology uh, uh, and those stories that, that, that beg a retelling or a recasting uh, uh, with a modern sensibility? I mean, I, I, I guess you could argue their, their, their folklore, their mythology, they've lasted forever, because, and it's because why? Why is it that they endure?
2: Well, part of it is, I mean, this is the nice thing for a writer, is that those have a lot of sort of shorthand built into them, right? Uh, If you're talking about Cinderella, you have all of the Cinderella's sort of resonating through that. And you can kind of pluck at uh, particular versions and, and take one as your inspiration and know at least some of your readers are going to uh, experience that sort of the Easter egg of being like, oh, this is the Peralt version of, or whatever. <laughs> nice. um, you know, and I think particularly Disney, right? I mean, all the, right. the Disney fairy tales. and I And so, but that's another thing is... If you read a story and it and it relates to a story that you've read before, if it's got allusions and in literary references and stuff, then you feel clever, and you feel like you've solved the puzzle, and you feel like you're in the, the special literary reference club. <laughs> and it, well, you know, and, yeah, and so absolutely that is that is, and so I think part of the trick with that is balancing it so the people that get it, you know, get that extra pleasure. And I, and I do deliberately uh, invoke Easter eggs in the, in the software sense, but also that the people that don't get it don't feel stupid because a reader that feels stupid is a reader that's going to put your, your piece down. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Well, isn't there also a lot of baggage though? I mean, isn't, isn't writing from an established tale inviting a uh, uh, a kind of referential uh, uh, forum into your story that you might not necessarily want there.
2: Oh, sure. There's all sorts of perils with it. You might bring in stuff that you don't mean to bring in, and you might bring in stuff that you don't mean to bring in, A, because it is just stuff that you're not aware of, like there is this legend that you somehow have, have managed to escape but that is horribly uh, offensive, or it could reveal your own... Horrible baggage in some way, and then you know,
0: God knows what. Happened. Um, Writing is cathartic after all.
2: Well, you know, but, but then that happens. I'm, I'm thinking when I was at Hopkins, we had a kid that wrote a story and, and he brought it in, and it was a retelling of a fairy tale. And, and we looked at it and I said, Josh, this is horribly racist. Uh, you know, and he was like, and he was like, no, it's not. And I said, let's just take a look. And I kind of went through it bit by bit. And he's like, oh, holy, you know, I'm a racist. (laughs) Well, I'm a racist, right? Because that's, that's not how that works. It's that he said something that that could be read as racist. And that's why you want to know, right? The comparison is spinach (laughs) on your teeth or something like that. You don't want (laughs) to be that person.
0: Well, and that's the benefit, I guess, of, of this particular class then would be the opportunity to navigate some of those potentially treacherous waters of operating oh, in folklore and fables with oh, you and Rachel as, as guides and, and <laughs> alert warning people.
2: Right. Cause we do talk about a little bit about uh, cultural appropriation. Cause again, you don't want to be that person either.
0: Right. Um, We've had, uh, uh, writers on before who have used, uh, uh, for example, aboriginal myths and mm-hmm. they were very emphatic about that exact thing. Uh, yes. uh, uh, and, and going to the primary sources, yes. going to the people and, and asking and doing it faithfully that's a that's a that's a, one of the many fine lines that writers walk these days
2: it is and i mean and that's one of the things that makes you a better writer is a set of constraints i think because then you have to kind of dance beautifully around them hmm. and and i think when you are borrowing from other people's stories often those constraints come built in
0: absolutely we'll be back with more of our conversation with cat rambo after this brief promotional break Once upon a time, there lived a witch named Alba. I'm afraid chiropractic isn't covered for centaurs. Who
2: had an apprentice called Magnus. Your neighborhood is full of smug, smart-ass woodland creatures, and they all hate me. And a
0: fairy assistant named Holly.
1: The team that cares, the team that heals,
0: together. And together, they tended to the king. I will not live with snakes on my head. The queen. Oh, dare you address me like that. And all the people of the little kingdom of Farloria. I want a test for fatsoplasia. Alba, I think I have the plague. The plague, you
2: say? Alba Salix, Royal Physician. A fairy tale comedy for the ear from Forgery League. Visit forgeryleague.com.
0: Just fill out this patient information form, and Alba will see you in a minute. Now let's get back to the conversation with Cat Rambo. I'm I'm going to turn the mic over to to Denise now. Denise, mm-hmm. what what's what's your what's what class do you want to hear about, and more importantly, why do you want to hear about it?
1: So um, the class that I was looking at that seemed really interesting to me, and for a, a multitude of reasons, um, was the literary techniques <laughs> for genre writers. That's that's something you never really see. It's it's kind of like the fine line between let's let's say soccer and 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 football. You know, in, in the States we call it soccer in, in Europe, no, damn it, it's football. The- um, you, you never really see genre genre and literary in, in the same sense. I suppose, I suppose with Stephen King on on some level, but I I mean how do you teach a class on that? How do you even approach that?
2: Well, I mean, I, I think everybody I, – I think it's actually – people do cross it a lot and, and they just don't, don't say it. it. Um, and, but I came out of a literary background. I came through uh, Johns Hopkins and studied with John Barth and uh, took a class where I read Finnegan's Wake and all of that. And I enjoy doing that stuff. And I think that it's stuff that, that a, that people are using often without thinking about it in order to, to make the writing more interesting and b it's something that's just, it's, it can make the writing more interesting or more resonant or more meaningful.
0: So basically you're using, you're going back to the, the, the the literary tackets of of Dickens or Joyce or, or some of the classics and, and even Hemingway and identifying, what works in their context and then applying it to a genre tale? No. Okay, not even close.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm interested how, how you, how you no. would take that into, into genre fiction.
2: So what we talk about are uh, literary devices, like an unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. Uh, a narrator where you you can't quite trust them is a, a sort of common Literary device, and it's one that's often used in science fiction and fantasy as well as in literary stuff. It could be something like having a story that's told in numbered sections, which is a a sort of it's a literary device. But uh, kids Johnson's Twenty Six Monkeys, also The Abyss, which won a number of awards, uh, uses numbered sections. So they're quite usable by genre writers, and in fact, uh, Rachel Swirsky, who we were talking about earlier. She sat in on one of the classes and that's where the story, uh, if you were a dinosaur, my love,
0: wrote
2: in that class. And the literary device was uh, repeating a line over and over.
0: Right. It's so easy, I think, to when your entry as a fan is through the stories that you've read. I think your first instinct is to emulate those stories because you read this writer or that writer and that, that sensibility informs not only your delight of the genre, but also the, the gateway, the way you wish wish to express it and paint yourself into the genre portrait, which I, I'm, I'm proposing is great to get you in the door, but won't get you very far.
2: Well, but I'm going to, I'm going to argue that those devices get used by a lot of different people. Uh, second person, uh, for example, is that's very much a device. That's a, it, there's a number of different reasons to use it, and people use it for uh, those reasons. But nobody uses it, and we go, "Oh my god, that's a Raymond Carver story, or right. that's a Bret Easton Ellis story, or I mean, I see uh, second person used all the time in the Daily Science Fiction stories, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm.
0: a lot of the time, actually. Sure. Well, and I could also see those that have studied their literary traditions and understand the styles and, and techniques of narrative that have been employed mm-hmm. could actually have like an Easter egg moment and go, oh, right, this is like that. Not in the sense that it's derivative, but in the sense that, ah, this writer is employing this tactic in the telling of the story and it works or it doesn't work. And then you go on from there.
2: Right, right. And and it's, it is true. I mean, it is possible. And I've done this like one summer we had no television and so we read we read all of Tom Sawyer and we read Huckleberry Finn and then I wrote like four bad Mark Twain pastiche stories because I just couldn't get his voice out of my head and finally I wrote a decent sort of voice story that was vaguely reminiscent of Mark Twain and then I managed to Exercise him. And, and I, you know, but I think it is possible if you, you know, that's one of the re- things you have to be careful of. Uh, you know, if you read a lot by, one person, it will start to creep into your writing. And if you are working on a piece, it, it is possible for someone's voice to kind of get in there, hopefully for the better, right? Be like, right. oh, with Samuel Delaney, how delightful. Uh, you know, something like that.
0: we <laughs> oh, welcome that comparison. Yeah, sure.
2: Yeah, that's it. But I mean, bad Mark Twain, no.
0: No, <laughs> no, no, no make it stop. Well, <laughs> we've had several writers uh, uh, take both sides of the. Uh, how much should you consume while you're writing something, or or when you're preparing to write something? You know, obviously, in in mainlining Mark Twain, uh, uh, you you infected your consciousness, your awareness of that. And and you know, if I'm watching, you know, Andrew Moffat's uh, Doctor Who. Uh, over the entire weekend and then I write on Monday I'm betting I'm going to try and work some some you're mof- gonna, yeah you know,
2: and you're going to have doctor who like, dreams
0: yes, well that too and I'm not talking about you specifically Denise it's, <laughs> it's, it's a friend a friend I'm asking for a friend so so I guess I guess it just chalks up to what being aware of oh, those voices
2: sure be aware of it and don't I I would argue if you're in the middle of a project and you want to kind of avoid the, the imprint of, of say fallout, then don't play fallout every evening. For <laughs> a week. I mean, you know, it, it's that sort of, I mean, it just don't overindulge in it. Sure. Um, the thing is there are some writers that you can overindulge in, or it, let's say you, you read very slowly and immersively. It, I, I'm lucky because I read quickly, uh, and <laughs> shallowly, uh, but, uh, you know, I could see somebody sort of really getting taken over by something and it's something to be aware of.
0: That prompted a quick sidebar question. Um, uh, I certainly understand that aesthetic of reading quickly, uh, in, in your line of work, that's essential. I'm curious though, I'll, I'll bet at some point in your past, there was a book that, that, Basically denied your your skimming surface instincts and you got sucked in. What was the last book that you couldn't read quickly and you just had to slow down?
2: I'm I'm actually reading one of those right now. Uh, R. A. Lafferty's Oklahoma, which is a, a fabulous, beautiful book, and I have to read it in little tiny
0: sips because it's so delightful. <laughs> adds adds the book to the list. Friends, write that one down. Awesome. I know, awesome. right? Okay, I'm gonna uh, my next my next class that 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 caught my eye was was first pages, uh, mm. uh, and you're you're teaching that one with uh, Karen uh, Gusov.
2: Yes, I love that class. That is one of my favorite classes to teach, and it is the class that I've had a number of people say to me, "This is the most valuable class I ever took." What we do is people give us their first 500 words of their novel, uh. and hopefully, they give us the title. And they sometimes tell us what the genre is. And one of us reads it out loud. and then the other one talks about it for, I don't know, five, ten minutes. and then the other person talks about it as well. It lets us range all over the place, but it also lets us talk about stuff that is really important for selling a novel with you know, stuff like grabbing a reader and pulling them in, not jarring them giving them the information that they need and not too much. Um, So we go all over the place and it is tremendous fun to teach. And it really is. I think uh, I've taught it now in one form or another, maybe two dozen times. Oh, wow.
0: So, so, and I've, we've all experienced that. We've all experienced like that first paragraph. I remember I got a, I want a copy of Ramesh Nam's Nexus. (laughs) <laughs> uh, uh, in, a, in a contest. Uh, I think it was maybe a Balticon. Yeah. Was, yeah. And, and I sat down, it was like it was like 11 o'clock at night. I was tired, but I wasn't ready to go to bed. And I said, well, all right, purely from an academic standpoint, I'm going to just start this book and just see how good it is. <laughs> Holy crap, three o'clock in yeah. the morning, I finally put the thing down because I'm exhausted. But, but there are books that do that, books that literally yeah. will hook you in the first paragraphs. And that seems... I think for a lot of writers to be almost like alchemy, like, like magic. Do you have any ideas cat as far as what are the key components of those incredibly compelling first paragraphs?
2: Well, I I mean, one is, is often those are not the first thing you write. Often those are the last thing you write and spend a lot of time (laughs) polishing them. (laughs) Engaging the senses is I think really, really important and senses other than the sight. I think Starting in a moment of immediacy, where there is a crisis or, or danger or, or, you know, some sense of tension, right? You know, opening on the daisy field in the sunlight is not really going to do it. <laughs> no. um,
0: and yeah.
2: you have to give the reader something intriguing and interesting, something, reason for them to keep going.
0: Right. Right. And that, and that can be, that's, that's what, that's the hook of your story. And it's, it's a yeah. different, it, the DNA of that is different for yeah. every story. In the universe, Uh God. See, and, and I'm looking at the class schedule. I'm going, holy crap! I want to take all of these friends. <laughs> if you get the chance, please go out to it's it's kittywampus.net. Correct, cat.
2: Or or catrambo.com works or, as well.
0: That's right. They both work. Although I, I just I like saying kitty wonders. I like kitty <laughs> <laughs> However you get there, uh, uh, click on the classes link, look at what's coming up. It's incredibly simple, it's incredibly affordable, and it's incredibly valuable. And and obviously based on the last twenty ish esque minutes of conversation uh uh, you can see that your your teacher uh knows her stuff as they say uh cat this has been a delight as always uh uh, the clock the clock has basically turned its back on me and is just ignoring me now. Like I ignore it. So I'm assuming I've heard its feelings and our time is up. So thank you so much. Once again, it's always a delight to have you in the, in the guest host chair. And we so appreciate you sharing your insights, ma'am. Thank you so much. It is always a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Denise, there we go. Uh, uh, Writerly goodness. Strewn behind us for the last twenty esque minutes or so, uh, uh, lots of goodness for the writerly toolbox. Uh, yes. uh, what's what's sticking for you? What what are you what are you grabbing from the last twenty minutes that you're gonna slide into your writer's toolbox?
1: Oh well, it's so funny that you say that because you you talked about a book uh, that kept you up until three o'clock in the morning, and I just had a book like that. Um, it was Sebastian de Castell's latest. Greatcoats book ah. that just captured me and made me cry and I loved it so much and he <laughs> needs to hurry up the hell up with the next one because oh my god what's um,
2: the, what's the last name again Sebastian
1: Santicastel
2: okay cool
1: uh, he's he's brilliant if if you get the chance pick up trader's blade you will never ever ever look back
2: ever <laughs> awesome awesome it,
1: it's that sort of writing, like that, that hook, you know, that, that stuck with me throughout this whole conversation. Yes. That's really the key thing I think that a lot of writers want is, is to to have that audience where it's like four sentences in is, oh my God, I have to read yes. this,
0: you know? Yes. Yep. Yep. That is, that is the Holy Grail. <laughs> if yes. you can, because that gets you agents, that gets you publishers and it also gets you readers. It gets uh, you readers. Yeah, yeah. exactly.
1: that's not required.
0: <laughs> yep. Yes, exactly. It
1: kind of is. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. One way or another, that's the end run. If, if you don't get the readers, the other two really don't matter. Yeah. So, right. So cool. Well, for me, it was. Uh, it was actually the notion of Easter eggs in fiction. Uh, uh, really, kind of in my brain, and and because I've experienced that, uh, mm-hmm. you experience it when you read. Um, I used to kind uh, of love Robert B. Parker's Spencer novels, uh-huh. and and later on in the canon, he would reference offhandedly yeah. Yeah. a character or an event, and you feel special because you were there. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, and and having that same effect happen. In terms of lengthy narrative, of course, I, 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 you'd have to write 20 books in order to get that effect specifically, but referencing specific aspects and acknowledging your engagement with the reader that conversation with the reader to impart that easter egg uh that whole aesthetic strikes me a is very complex uh something that would require many beta readers uh to mm. ensure that you're not being too heavy-handed or, or being too obtuse uh, uh in either either way sledgehammer or feather uh sometimes i neither is the best way to go but that that concept uh really stuck in my head and i'm i'm it's something I want to explore a little bit because it speaks to that conversation, that relationship between writer and reader, which is so ephemeral because the writer has no idea it's happening. And really, you know, as good as, good as they can be, they really have no idea how an individual reader is going to engage with their story. Right. Uh, but you have to build in, I guess, what, assumptions or, or yes. the, the idea that you are talking to someone. And that, that fascinates me. That, that, that relationship, that long-distance, span-temporal tem- relationship is something that I, I go back to time and time again because that's where my head is, I guess. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. So, guys, that was fabulous. Uh, your heads are full. Your toolboxes are full. You're going, holy crap, does it get any better, Dave? Yes, I'm afraid it does. It does because in seven days... We're going to come back. We're going to bring Kat. We're going to bring Denise. We're going to add a courageous guest writer, a creative and courageous guest writer to the mix. They are going to set the table for a brainstorming feast, the likes of which the gods have never seen before. And I can say that with absolute confidence because I am prescient. I can see into the future and this is exactly what's going to happen. But it's seven days and that's a long damn time. I know which. We can't crank them out any faster, guys. Denise, help our yes. listeners out. What, what can our listeners do between now and seven days from now to make they, that time just fly by?
1: They can be writing. That's
0: what they can. Well, hell yes, they can. Because, you know, until you write, you don't get your stories out in the world. And until those stories get out into the world, you're... Aesthetic, your vibe, your soul, your words don't seed the population. You got to sit down. Button chair, fingers on the keyboards, tappy, tappy, tappy. That's how it works. Yes. Excellent advice. And I will tell you friends, as I always do, uh, you find what you're looking for. And this is so true in my life, time and time and time again. So if you look for the, oh my God, uh, if you look for the, ho, 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 if you, if you seek that out actively in your life, friends, I'm telling you, you'll find it. And it'll be amazing. All right. We will see you in just seven days. Until then, you guys stay cool, stay frothy, and stay awesome. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode of the Roundtable Podcast is copyright 2015 by Wonder Thing Studios and is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown: Gary Gold, David LaBroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us. Visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at writerspodcast. And you can always email us at table at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.